Hello, my friends, and welcome to Worship for January 30th of 2022. I'm the pastor here of Carmen United Church, the Reverend Nick Phillips, and I'm so glad you've joined us from wherever you are watching from. Just a quick announcement or two before we start. The first is that with the extension of the public health restrictions here in Nova Scotia, we will remain online uh, for worship until at least February 14th, which is when Premier and Dr. Strang have said they were looking at relaxing a bit. Uh, until we see the relaxing of public health restrictions, uh, we will remain online. We are doing, as they have asked, our best to limit the spread of COVID in our community. If you need anything, do not hesitate to call me at the, at the office, at the manse. Uh, I am here for you and will do my best to serve you in whatever way I can. If you wish to donate to our church, uh, please, you may do so through our website or dropping your checks off to Joyce or myself. We are happy and very thankful for the support we have continued to receive throughout the pandemic. You can also sign up for a newsletter to keep in touch with what's going on here at Carmen and also uh, go to our website to sign up for that. The next Carmen Council is scheduled for February 8th and right now at this time we plan to meet, uh, but if there's any changes, we will communicate that. Once again, thank you for joining us in worship. And as we turn our hearts to God, Let's take now a moment of silence and a time to pray as we enter into the presence of our loving God.
Our scripture reading today comes from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. It reads, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. join me in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, as we gather around your word for us this day, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You who are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. We are continuing our look at heroic women of the Bible this week by looking at the story of Bathsheba. We only read there uh, what roughly amounts to a very quick introduction to the much longer story of Bathsheba, a story that has layers of complexity that we need to look at. Over the years, there have been many assumptions made about the life and intentions of Bathsheba, so we'll look into those as well. And we will see if we can glean any truth or depth from the story of this important woman. The story of Bathsheba begins with King David pacing on his rooftop at night. 
while his army is off at war. Why David remains in Jerusalem is unclear. Kings often traveled with their armies, but in this, on this particular occasion, David is at home. During his pacing on the rooftop, he sees a woman bathing. It's Bathsheba. And he finds her very attractive and wants to know more about her. Eventually, he discovers who she is and invites her to come and see him. And he sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant. There have been a number of assumptions made about Bathsheba. One being about why she was bathing outside purposefully. And people say that this was with intention to attract King David, King David's attention to her so that she might seduce him. Now, we cannot be sure of this. We don't know where Bathsheba was bathing at. We know David was on the palace roof, which means he would have had a view of the entire city. There's no guarantee for Bathsheba that David would have seen her bathing, or even a guarantee that he would have been on the roof at the time she was bathing. So why else would a woman be bathing where someone could see her at all? Well, the clue for this comes in the second half of verse 4. It gives us the reason why she was doing what she was doing. It says she was purifying herself from her, from her monthly uncleanness. In other words, she had just finished her monthly period and is performing a cleansing ritual in preparation to re-enter her home. This is at the conclusion of 12 days of isolation from any physical contact with her husband or any male for that matter. The timing of these 12 days of isolation just so happened to be right around the prime time when women are ovulating, when they are most likely to become pregnant. Take into consideration for a moment the hemorrhaging woman in Mark chapter 5. Here we encounter a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years and no one could help her. So she would have also been considered unclean, much like Bathsheba would have been for those 12 days during and immediately after her period. The difference being that after 12 days, Bathsheba could re-enter her home and live a normal life. The woman in Mark chapter 5 was unclean every single day for 12 years. No physical contact, meaning no hugs even during her 12 years of ordeal, no place in the home, because everything and everyone she touches becomes unclean as well. For 12 years. She is another fascinating woman of the Bible because of her state and because she, it is she who risks everything to reach out and touch Jesus, to risk making him unclean, doing all of this in faith because she believes Jesus is the one who can heal her and make her whole once again. In the end, she's right. She finally gets to be clean after 12 long years and rejoin society as a normal person. Now back to Bathsheba, who is now clean after her bathing, and David sees her from his high perch above the city, and he lusts after her. 
Now, there's been some assumptions made about what Bathsheba is wearing, but we don't know the answer to that either. There's some talk that there may have been tents set up around the city for women to do their ritual cleansing. She may have been wearing robes, or there's a small chance she might have actually been naked like so many people accuse her of being. We cannot know the state of her dress when David sees her. That's not clear within the Bible. What we read is David sees her, and he lusts after her. He finds out who she is. He learns that she is Eliam's daughter and the wife of Uriah. Eliam and Uriah are known to David because they both serve him in his army as top warriors. Think of them maybe as black ops or or Navy SEALs. David takes in this information and he summons Bathsheba to come and see him. Another accusation put against Bathsheba to make it sound like she was initiating this relationship is that when she's asked to go in the middle of the night, she goes without question. She goes willingly. These tend to be the same people who assume she was out bathing on her own rooftop naked at night to gather the attention of David. Again, we have to question this because there's no evidence of this in the Bible. We need to explore the various lines of thought, but even more so, we need to look at what Scripture actually says so that we can learn about this important woman in the Bible. Bathsheba says very little in this passage that we've read this morning, except she tells us, except when she tells David he, she is pregnant. All we have to go on is really just five short verses saying that he saw her, he summoned her, she went and he slept with her, and she became pregnant. That's all we essentially have. But we also need to look at things that, like power structures and the dynamics that are around them. David is the king. He's a very powerful, powerful man. He holds the lives and the futures of Bathsheba's father and husband in his hands. These men who are off fighting for him in a war right now. So when the king, who has this kind of power over your father and your husband, when the king summons you to his palace, what are you going to do? We see things happen like this in the news far too often. Remember, just a few years ago, we had the whole Me Too movement where women of all walks of life were telling brave stories of when men in positions of power took advantage of them. And those stories still even continue today. And I've heard these stories from women I know. When stories like these are made public, what do the people in power who are being accused, what do they usually say? They usually say it was consensual. They say that the woman was free to make her own choice and that she chose to sleep with the man. Now this also happens the other way around. Women also take advantage of men, but we don't tend to hear those stories nearly as often. It's not quite so prolific because real in reality, the people in power in our society, they're pretty much all men. So the likelihood of these stories occurring are far less likely than women taking advantage of men because 
men are in the positions of power in our society. Notice, though, how it is always the person of power who says it was consensual. And they are effectively denying the other person's story, using their power, using their influence to protect themselves. It's never the other way around. You never hear the person in power pleading for help. But rather, it's always the victim. The other person is always the victim. It doesn't matter if it's a CEO of a company, a politician, a millionaire, or even a pastor. They are all in positions of power and influence over other people. And they don't even realize at times that their, that their power make people do things they would not normally do. Things like cheat on their husband when the king summons her to his bedroom late at night. I'm not accusing David of raping Bathsheba, although that's not completely out of the equation, but his authority as king would have influenced Bathsheba's decision-making, even if it went against everything she believed in. We can likely assume, at the very least, that David took advantage of her. And in the end, David is left to scramble to cover up his own infidelity. When he learns Bathsheba is pregnant, he summons Uriah back from the front lines and hopes that he will go home and sleep with his wife, making the illusion that Uriah is the father of the child, even though it's a couple of months have passed at this point. But he won't do that. Uriah's devotion is to his brothers who are fighting in the war. So he sleeps in the palace doorway, just waiting for David to send him back to the front lines. When David asks him, why don't you go to your wife? Uriah replies, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go home and eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Uriah is dedicated to his role as, as a warrior in David's army. And he wants to be with his brothers who are fighting right now the war that Uriah was asked to leave behind. Now this leaves David in a bit of a bind. David needs to make it look like Uriah is the father. He needs to cover up his mistake. So David devises a plan. He sends Uriah back to the front lines of the war, but he sends special instructions to the commander, Joab. He says, send them out into battle with Uriah. But when the fighting starts, everyone else pull back and leave Uriah out there on his own so that he would be killed by the enemy. And that is what happens. Bathsheba's husband is killed in battle through a plan to sacrifice him to the enemy, all for the saving of David's reputation. Bathsheba, she's left behind to mourn the loss of her husband. And when the time of mourning is complete, David again summons her to the palace and makes her his wife. 
We are told in Scripture that the Lord is not pleased with all of this that has happened. A prophet, Nathan, is sent to David to accuse him of his sin. And David realizes his sin and, and he repents, he confesses, yet there is a price to pay. Bathsheba's son that he had given her dies in infancy. Eventually, Bathsheba gives David another son, Solomon. And Solomon grows to be the next king of Israel. But that in itself is quite a story. Because as David is an old man lying in his deathbed, another man declares himself to be king. That man was Adonijah. Adonijah had rallied up support from Joab, the commander of the army, and others, including priests, to name him as successor to David as king. But Bathsheba is reminded of a promise that David had made. David had promised that Solomon would be the next king of Israel. And so she goes to David and reminds him of this promise and of the news that Adonijah has declared himself king. And David corrects us. He summons together the priests and others to name Solomon as his successor. Now, who reminds Bathsheba of this promise? It is the same prophet from earlier. It is Nathan. Nathan reminds her of David's promise that Solomon would be king and that she should go to David to remind him. After David's death, Adonijah goes to Bathsheba to ask Solomon a favor, that he might marry a young woman. This young woman is Abishag, who was tasked with taking care of David as he was lying in his deathbed, including lying with him in order to keep him warm. Both Nathan and Adonijah recognize the influence Bathsheba has over King David and King Solomon. In fact, when Bathsheba goes to relay Adonijah's request to Solomon, here's what we read in 1 Kings 2, verse 19. The king stood up to meet her and bowed low to her. Then he returned to his throne and had a throne set up for the queen mother. She sat to his right. Solomon bowed low to her. He set up a throne so he could, she could sit to his right. What is significant of these things? Well, the seat to the right of the king is the seat of power and influence and honor. Bathsheba has the seat that very few people would ever have access to. Now, we don't actually hear a lot from Bathsheba in the Bible. It records very little of what she says. She began as a woman just doing what women do in those days, cleansing herself before she re-enters the home after her period. She is a victim. She's taken advantage of by the one who has power over herself and her family. This man kills her husband, then takes her in as his own wife. His sin cost her a husband and a son as her firstborn dies shortly after birth. Yet Bathsheba remains in the palace, building trust, gaining influence, being a good queen. 
and she sees her son become king of Israel. And from there, she remains influential, sitting in the position of power and honor at the right hand of her son, the king. Bathsheba began the story as a young, respectable woman who paid dearly for the sin of King David. Yet there's nothing to signify any guilt at all being placed upon her. All of that guilt falls on King David. It is his sin that causes all of this. Yet she still suffers in silence as she loses her husband and her first child, all because of the sin of King David. Yet God raises her up in all of this. From the scandalous beginning, she is raised up to be a great queen. We rarely hear in the Bible about wives of kings having so much influence. Yet Bathsheba clearly did. While Bathsheba does not get mentioned by name, she is still referred to in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. It says David was the follower of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. This is, of course, a reference to Bathsheba. Why they didn't use her name, I'm not sure. But here she is. Her story is remembered through the naming of Uriah whenever the genealogy of Jesus is read. So here we have a woman taken advantage of by King David, a woman whose life is connected with King David's greatest failure as a leader. And her story is still referenced in the genealogy of Jesus. Bathsheba reminds us that even in the worst of times, even in our darkest moments, those dark moments of sin, or maybe even more accurately, when others sin so greatly against us, Bathsheba reminds us God is still with us. Often, when we hear of women being used as sexual objects for men, they are discarded, even in the Bible. But this wasn't the case for Bathsheba. God raised her up and gave her a position of leadership over all of Israel. There's another woman in the Bible who was discarded and left for dead. We read about this woman in the Gospel of John chapter 8. A woman has been caught in adultery with a man. She and only she is accused. The man is not brought forward. She was dragged before Jesus to be condemned with the expectation that Jesus will allow them to stone her to death as is written in the law. Jesus turns and challenges the crowd instead. He says, let the one without sin throw the first stone. And as everyone examines themselves and realizing that none of them are without sin, slowly, one by one, the crowd disperses. Jesus faces the woman when they are left alone, the woman who by law should be dead by now. And he says to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she replies. Neither, then, neither do I condemn you then, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. We should all be condemned for our sin. 
We deserve to be discarded and left for dead because of our rebellion against God. But that's not how God sees us. God looks at us even in our darkest moments and he loves us. And he invites us to live lives that follow in the footsteps of the one who sent, he sent for us, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. From the stories of the women we have looked at today, Bathsheba, the woman hemorrhaging for 12 years, the woman caught in adultery. From these stories, we learn that God is on the side of those who cannot stand for themselves. And he loves them, and he brings them healing and wholeness so that sin does not control them or their future. And what about you? Are you trapped in sin? Are you a victim? Are you feeling abandoned? and cast aside? Or do you know someone in that kind of position? Whatever the case may be, know that God does not give up on you. God seeks out the lost and the alone, the sinners and the victims, and he invites them and all of us into a life-giving, healing relationship with Jesus Christ, who came to bring life and hope to all God's children. What a wonderful God we serve. Our God who will not abandon the lost or the alone. Our God who loves the widow and raises up all people in hope, just like Bathsheba did, and so many others for thousands of years. Thanks be to God for God who loves us so much that he will never leave us alone. Amen. Would you join me in a time of prayer? Let us pray. Almighty God, we come today giving thanks for the stories of powerful, heroic women of the Bible. Women we so often just want to cast aside as, as, as incidents in a, in a much larger story, but these women, like Bathsheba, have powerful stories to share with us about the wonderful love you have for everyone. And so we thank you, God, for these stories that lift us up in hope, knowing that you are always with us. Lord, may we continue to live with your blessing. May we continue to realize your deep love for every one of us and for everyone who is around us, no matter what circumstances they may find themselves in. Lord, our sin may be great, but your love is even greater. So lift us up from our sin so that we may live lives of glory and hope for you. Lord, we bring our prayers before you today, the prayers of our hearts. We pray again still for those who are being impacted by COVID. We pray for schools and students and teachers and administrators as they continue to go through this this wave of Omicron that is disrupting our society right now. We pray for the many families who are living in isolation right now because of the impact of COVID upon them. We pray for those who are sick, for those who are anxious, for those who are alone, for those who are afraid. We pray for our governments who are making difficult decisions these days. And we pray for patience on our own behalf as we seek to do what is right in protecting one another 
from COVID. Lord, there's so much division in our world right now. It concerns us. So we pray for the situation unfolding in Russia and Ukraine and the, and the world that is divided by it. We pray for those who are anti-vaxxers and anti-mandates. We pray for conservatives and liberals. We pray for the right and the left. We pray for the anti-religious and the church. Lord, there's such great division in our world, division we know that you do not want. You want us to be united in love and service to one another. So Lord, help us to bridge these divides. Help conversations to happen that bring people together instead of pushing them apart. A world has become a world of the winner is the one who yells the loudest. And so, Lord, we pray for quieter voices to prevail. Voices that seek solutions. Hearts that seek guidance from you. And Lord, may you lead all of us into the way that you would have us live to bring peace and hope to this world. Lord, now we also lift up to you those we love, those who are struggling with personal issues or family issues or health issues. Lord, may you bring them healing and hope and love. May you grant them peace in their hearts and guide them to solutions to their problems. We pray for those who support them, for doctors, nurses, and caregivers, and family and friends. Lord, may we all come together to bring hope and love to our community and to our world. Lord, we lift these prayers to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, the one who taught us to pray. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
friends, thank you again for joining me in worship this day. If you would like to support the ministry of our church, you may do so through our website or again, as I mentioned earlier, dropping your checks off to Joyce or myself. We thank you so much for your support. We thank you for your prayers and for your love at this time as we continue to worship online. With any luck, in a few weeks, we may be back together once again, we hope and we pray. If you have any concerns, again, please call me. I'm happy to talk with you at any time. But for now, let us go knowing that God is with us at all times, in our struggles, in our joys, in our weakness, whatever it may be. Just like with Bathsheba, God is with us every single day, raising us up, giving us hope, giving us love, all for his glory. Let us go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God in each and every one of us, now and forever. Amen.